So for those of you who are new here, first time uh, here, I'm Pastor Jeremy Bannister, and uh, you're part of Heights Christian Church. And what we're doing here at the church is a little bit different. We are going through the Bible in five years period of time. And how we do that together and how you can participate with us is that we have a number of readings that we do six days a week, Monday through Saturday. And you can get a schedule of those readings over at the information desk. There's a booklet that has all of our readings for the entire year laid out before you. And of course, we're getting close to the end of this year. We'll be having year two coming up again uh, real soon for us as a congregation. Uh, But what we do is after reading those, what we do is we come back together on Sunday mornings and uh, our sermon is based in whole or in part on what we read during this week. And if you are the type of person like, you know, reading, I want to get something out of it every week. Well, one way you can do that is you can go to our YouTube channel because we do our devotions on our YouTube channel as well. So you go to youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church and you can click the subscribe button, the bell for notifications, and you'll get devotionals based upon our readings for that day. We read our entire scripture together, so you're not skipping any of the scripture, and we go a little bit more in depth on a daily basis to be able to pull something from it on a daily basis. So when we come here, we kind of got a background of what's happened. So this is what we're doing In five years period of time, we go through the entirety of the Word of God. We've already done it once, and we're on our second time through. Uh, this past week, we're, we're in the book of Romans right now, and this past week we read Romans chapters 4 through 8. How many of you read this week? Look at that, it's awesome, all right? I want to encourage you guys, Romans is an amazing book, it's a great place for us to, to find ourselves here at the end of the year as we're celebrating Christ, because we get kind of both ends of things, don't we? We get the, the birth of Jesus that we're celebrating all through this Advent season, and then we get the, the reason for which he came all throughout the book of Romans, which is fantastic. So today we're going to We're going to be talking in a sermon that I call, I Want a Faith Like That. How many of you have ever been around somebody who has an indomitable faith? All right? Somebody who doesn't matter what's going on in their life, they're going to be trusting victoriously in Jesus no matter what. Good, bad, ugly, everything in between. You know, as a pastor, I I have the privilege of seeing a lot of people toward their waning days in life. And sometimes I've, I've been in many hospital situations where I have walked away more encouraged than I walked in. You know, you walk in, you're thinking, I'm going to just be here for the family. I'm going to encourage them during this time where it's, they're, they're getting ready for the departure of their loved one to be with Jesus. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to, and I go in And the one who is afflicted and hurt or the family that is there is just so strong in Christ. They talk about all the things that God has done for them during this time, this season of pain and suffering. Or in their preparation to go and meet the Lord. And they talk about their peace. And I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've walked away going, oh my goodness. I I went to encourage them, but they instead encouraged me so much. Man, I want a faith like that, right? Or you get around somebody who's going through such a hard time and you wonder as, as they seem just kind of, if it were me, be crushed because of those circumstances. 
And they walk on, they seemingly just stand in the joy of the Lord. And, and they're just talking about, you know, God has me going through this right now, but I know that he is faithful and he is, he's awesome in bringing me through all of these things. And it's like one after the other after the other. How many of you know people who've been through stuff like that and through it all, they're just like, oh, but God is so good. Man, I want to, I want a faith like that, don't you? That indomitable spirit, well, because what we read this past week in Romans chapters 4 through 8 is all about faith. Everything connected from beginning to end is about faith. That whole idea of what it means to be faithful to God through all of this. And we're going to learn a lot concerning that because I want to be that type of person who sees those things. There's a song that I actually listened on the way in today. It's probably, golly, 15, 20 years old now. Some of the youth might know it. I don't know. Um, but it's from Jonah 33, and it's, it's called Faith Like That. And the whole idea is that I, I want to see you know, God do amazing things in my life, like the people in the past. I want to be able to have that faith that is indomitable, that will move mountains and will not struggle or fade. And I want that. I, I don't want that just for myself. I want it for you. And I believe that as we look in the scriptures today, we're going to describe how all of us have that available to us if we will only exercise the type of faith that's mentioned in these chapters. Let's take a look at it real quick. Open your Bibles. We're going to be jumping all around today. <laughs> Surprise. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 4 because if you'll remember last week, we, we talked about how we're all in the same state, right? The first three chapters are all, how all of us uh, fall into sin. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're no better than anybody else. You need the same salvation in Christ. And so when we offer Christ, we don't offer Christ out of some sort of uh, I'm better than you, haughtiness, pridefulness, that somehow we have it better because we've got this in with Jesus. And it has nothing to do with that. We're the same beggars who are in need of the same saving grace of Jesus Christ, and we need to tell others about the good news, and there's no bragging in that. And so the attention turns from there to faith, and it begins talking about Abraham, who's the father of faith. And as Paul begins to talk about Abraham and talking about the faith, he talks how Abraham is not just the father of faith for those who are Jews, he goes on to make the, uh, uh, the observation that he's the father of faith for those who are Gentiles as well. And the way that he makes his argument is that he goes back to the promises of God that were given to Abraham, that he was going to have a son, and how he believed him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul would say, well, how was it credited to him? Was it credited to him when he was circumcised, when he officially became a part of the covenanted Jewish family, when that covenant of circumcision was given to him, or was it before then, and it was before? And that's why he said that same faith, Abraham is the perfect father of faith for those who are Jews, who, who are identified as Jews, and those who are not Jews. And that faith is so very important. 
And so in verse 16, he goes through this idea of the promise and how that correlates to faith and how it helped Abraham and should be helping us as well. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we see this exercise of faith and we talk about the promise that was given and what was the faith that was exercised. It's this, Abraham believed God. Abraham was promised a son in his old age. As a matter of fact, when it was credited to him as righteousness, he's 86 years old. That promise would not be fulfilled for another 14 years. And God believed him. Remember, he's 86. Sarah's 10 years younger. She's 76. It's not a spring chicken. Realizing that she's past the age of childbearing. Even to the point when she becomes 89 and she is given the gift of God to have a child. Such an unbelievable thing. It is credited to Abraham as righteousness because he believed God when God promised it. Think about that for just a second. He didn't have it, but he believed God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. That is the definition of faith. If we go back to verse 21, it's a perfect definition of what faith is. It is being fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised. That's what it is. God has the power to do what he has promised. If you'll remember earlier this year, we were in the book of Hebrews, and this matches very well with the definition of faith given in Hebrews. Let's check that out real quick. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and verse 6, it says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Think about that for a moment. It's being sure of what we hope for. What are we hoping for? That the promises of God are true, right? 
and certain of what we do not see. Is that not what Abraham said? What was credited to him as righteousness was this faith. He did not see it. He did not have it at that moment in time. When God promised it to him, he believed God would bring it about. Then verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, this is a message that we see throughout the scripture. Whether we're talking Genesis, Hebrews, Romans, it doesn't matter. This unwavering faith that God is going to do what he promised that he would do. And then something unique happens after, after Paul mentions this. After Paul spends a chapter in chapter 4 talking about faith, we read from 5 to 8 and in, in a, a crazy type of order, we see that God... We see that Paul uses, he uses Paul to write about suffering. That's not exactly where you would think. That's so counterintuitive, right? That here we are, we're going to talk about faith, and the next chapters we're going to talk about all types of suffering. We're going to talk about all the contentions that rise up against us in our faith. Whether it's ourselves, if we read in chapter 7, I do what I don't want to do, and therefore I see that the law is good, that we have our own problems with ourselves and sin. But he spends a huge portion of this talking about all the things we fear as believers in Christ. Really interesting when you think about it. Think about how this passage of Scripture ends in Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 37. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as his sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What a strange thing to focus on. We're going to focus on faith and then we're going to talk about all the sufferings of this world. The groaning, the eager expectation of the liberation that hasn't happened yet but is promised to all who believe in Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he shares in this one question, he hits every fear of ours as believers in Christ. What shall separate us from the love of God? Notice what he doesn't say. You come to Jesus, come to faith in Jesus, everything's going to be great. When you come to Jesus, everything's going to be so good, God is going to bless you tenfold, a hundredfold, seven hundred thousandfold. He doesn't say that. We're given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're promised nothing here on this earth. And he goes immediately to the one thing that everybody around us who doesn't believe in Christ tries to point to as an evidence against God, the problem of evil. Let me tell you about hardship and sickness and death and persecution and injustice. And let me tell you all of these things. How can a just God do that? And Paul's answer to that is that the love of Jesus Christ overcomes all of those things. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Think about it. If those things were happening to you at that moment in time, isn't that where the questions of faith hit our lives at that moment in time where we're thinking, oh God, where are you at in the middle of all of this? And yet Paul is saying that indomitable faith is available to you this day because none of those things, no matter what it is you might be going through, can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah, is that not amazing? And we forget because all of those things trip us up. 
all of those things and we get focused on the things of this world and forget that the love of God and the, the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has purchased for us all things, not in a reality that's going to be here on this earth as it is sin-filled and soaked and fallen and waiting and groaning in eager expectation for redemption, but waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be freed up to, so that the sons of God will be revealed and we will be with him forever and ever. Such a different expectation. I mean, think about it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the down payment for all of the promises that he's given us. Do you guys realize that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the down payment for all the promises that he's given us. Jesus shared while he was here, look, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to pick it up again. This is a command that I received from my Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus conquered both sin and death on the cross. That he rose three days later victoriously to show that every promise that has not yet been completed will be completed in Christ. So strong was this point that Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. It's in vain. And worse than that, we are found to be false witnesses of God. But indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead. Of this we are witnesses of. And as a result, it makes all the difference in the world. Death becomes a defeated enemy. Death, where is your sting? What can you do to me? All you can do is kill me. Doesn't seem to be a problem for Jesus. We so easily forget that. Think about the promises of God that are to us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, repeating what we've already written, uh, already read in Deuteronomy, I will never leave nor forsake you. That's the promise of God to you as believers in Jesus Christ. That Jesus at the Great Commission says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. When he tells us at the coming of the Holy Spirit, he will be with you forever. And that he's the seal of your redemption in Christ. John chapter 14 and verse 27 where we read this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. These are promises. This is what's given to you and me. That by faith we can actually say we receive those things. We believe them because we believe that God will fulfill what he has promised. That he has the power to do so. That's what faith is. We don't have it yet. But Jesus said, my peace I give you. I don't give it as the world gives. 
For the world, peace is absence of conflict. Jesus never promised that. Sorry, no place in there. We'll be reading some scriptures that talk about that too. But he promises his peace. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know the way and the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But those who come to the Father through Jesus, he has promised a place for us. And he's promised that he's going to prepare that place and he's coming back. And that faith in Jesus means that I believe in a God who is going to send his son back to come and take me to be where he is. And so we will be there forever together. You know why? Because he said so and I trust him. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus is going back to Lazarus, to people whom he loves, to Mary and Martha who have lost their brother. And they're in great distress. And as they run one at a time to Jesus, he begins to talk to Martha and saying that your brother will live. And she says, I know, I know my brother will live. He'll be raised up on the resurrection at the last day. And with that, Jesus said this, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you have the faith that Jesus will bring about exactly what he has said? That though you die, you will yet live and hear his voice one day, raising from the dead your body to be sown incorruptibly so that you can be with him forever. Do you believe that he's going to fulfill that promise. See, that's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the down payment of that promise, because we'll be raised like him. When Jesus was here on earth and he raised people from the dead to show his power over death at that time, it wasn't this same type of resurrection. Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, is going to die again. The little boy that he raises from the dead is going to die again. Peter, and even in the book of Acts, who raises a little girl, is going to die again. But Jesus is raised in such a way that death has no hold on him. And promises that those who believe someday will be like him. Do you believe that? Because that's what it means to have faith in Christ. That's the type of faith we're talking about. Which leads us to John chapter 16, verse 33. 
I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Speaking about that peace that the world doesn't have. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, it seems such a strange thing to start talking about Abraham, the father of faith who believed God and the promises of God, and now we're going to jump into all of the problems that we're going to be facing in this life, all of the fears that you and I have. None of us want to face the things that are talked about at the end of chapter 8. Famine, nakedness, anybody, anybody signing up for that? How about persecution? Anybody? Nobody? See, you have to remember that the faith in Jesus Christ for every one of the apostles led to their death led to their imprisonment, led to their persecution. And on their, the lips of each one of them was the surety that Jesus had truly come, Jesus had truly died, Jesus had truly raised from the dead and had purchased a way out from the grave. Therefore, what's she going to do to me? Because I'm still going to talk about Jesus. He's the only way. He's given me a commission to go and tell the world so I can go and baptize And teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's exactly what it means to make a disciple. And the disciples took that seriously. And they went all around the world. And they didn't care what happened to them. And they went to jail. And they had other things that happened to them that were terrible. That you and me, that if those things were happening to us, we'd be like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. God, why are you having this happen to me? There was no other thing that was going to happen to you but promise this. In this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. But take heart. He's overcome the world. See, this was the faith that they had. That though they were in prison, they didn't care. Though they were beaten, they didn't care. Though they were shipwrecked, they didn't care. Though they were killed for their faith, they didn't care. Because they knew that, guess what? The one who has already defeated sin and death has risen again and has promised them a life with him forever and there's nothing that this world can do to take that away. What will separate you from the love of God? None of those things. None of those things will. Oh, and that should be something that we should really take to heart. Man, if we did that, if we, we really believed that, how different would our lives be? How different would our proclamation of faith be? Because all of those things are what we're worried about, isn't it? I don't tell somebody about Jesus because I'm afraid of what they're going to do or say or we're going to hurt our relationship or, or what, 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 what's, but you're thinking the wrong thing. What can separate you from the love of God? In Christ Jesus our Lord. What can say, isn't that the love we're trying to hold on to more than anything else? More than this world around us? More than our husbands or our wives or our children or our parents? It doesn't matter how close they are to you. Guess what they're supposed to be? Second to Jesus. 
And what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Man, if we believe that. Oh my goodness, that indomitable faith that no matter what we face, it wouldn't matter. You know why? Because we're convinced that Christ Jesus is Lord. He's really raised from the dead. It's the down payment of every one of the promises that I have of God. How amazing it is that I have something to look forward to. I have a hope. I have a future. I have a place in heaven given to me by the one preparing for me to be there with him forever. How cool is that? And nobody can take that away from you here. Nobody. Do you guys realize what we've been witnessing the last couple of weeks? Last couple of weeks, we've seen these baptismal waters stirred. Do you understand what that really means? Because it was all in the middle of these things. It changes everything for us. How in the world could the disciples face what they face with the indomitable spirit? It's the same thing that happens for every single one who in faith walk in those baptismal waters. Turn with me real quick to Romans chapter 6. Paul begins the chapter this way. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, but anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You guys understand the transformation that takes place by those who exercise faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he's been raised from the dead on our behalf because of my sin. And I go in those waters and I represent the old person that has died and no longer there because of what Jesus has done on the cross so that I might be raised like Jesus was raised from the dead. And I believe it because his resurrection is a down payment on these promises. And it changes everything. I don't live for myself anymore. I live for him. I do his will rather than just doing my will. Why? Because in the end, all I want is his love. 
I'm doing this because of what he's done for me. And all I can say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to live for you. That's all I want to do. Whatever it costs me to live for you, I will do. Because you know what? I trust your promises. Your promises are true. You will make them come about because that's what faith is. You and me trusting Jesus with the promises that he's made that we in hope are still waiting to receive. It's how you can walk into a hospital room and know the peace of God and the people who are there. And that indomitable faith waiting on the Lord because they know those promises are true. It's how you can Watch people who are in our church who do amazing things and confront some of the hardest situations in life. And they can do so not just because it's a hard thing and it breaks their heart every single time they do it, but they can do it with joy because they trust the promises of God. That the love of God cannot be dampened by whatever it is they're going through. It's not taken away because of our circumstances. Everything is dependent upon the promises of God fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if you believe that, and not just believe that for yourself, but for any who believed, how much bolder would we be for our faith and how much less would we care about what other people thought of our faith? See, the goal isn't them. The goal is Christ. The goal is the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The goal is focused on him. That's who we're spending eternity with. And it's like we're worried about this other person over here that if they don't accept Jesus, which I want them to because Jesus died for all, but if they don't accept Jesus, somehow I'm more worried about what he thinks and what God thinks. So I'll amend it so I don't, I don't have to be as, as, as harsh or I don't have to be as unloving, at least from their point of view. Uh, I, don't have to be, I don't have to say these words that might offend in some way. It's about the love of God that you want to share because it's the only hope that the world has. Man, if we really believe that, how would that change the way we reached out to everybody around us? Knowing that if we start exercising our faith, persecution, bad things that happen in our lives, famine, nakedness, all of that could come this this way. We're not promised anything except trouble in this world by Jesus. And we're also told that he's overcome it. Take heart, I've overcome it. So you can face it, no matter how hard it is, whether you ever get out of that situation or not. What can take you away from the love of Christ? Romans 8 ends victoriously. And it ends victoriously specifically because our hope is not in this world. It's not in our situation. It's in the fact that nothing can separate you and me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Starting again in verse 
35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you stand with me? Is that the type of faith you have? I pray it is. I really do. Do you really believe that God will bring about all of the promises that he has given us in Christ Jesus? Do you understand that his resurrection is a down payment, that these things are faithful and true, and he will cause them to come into being those things that are not right now? Do you believe that? Then let's live like we believe that. God, thank you for this day, for this time that we have had together to reaffirm our faith in you, dear Heavenly Father. And if any here do not have that faith in Jesus Christ, I pray this would be the day that they would come and understand what you have done for them. Uh, You have done so much that nothing can separate us from your love if they would only accept what you've done for them on the cross. Help us, oh God, to live as risen people in a life that is victorious not because we're not going to face hardship but because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and let us share that good news to a world that desperately needs to hear it in Jesus name Amen